Our subject matter this morning, if you get this right, there is life and prosperity and there's health. If you do not get our subject matter right this morning, there is damage and there is distance. Do I have your attention? I'm serious. If you can get this one right, your life will be better. All right, so let me start with asking seven questions. We're going to take a test, and then I'm not even going to tell you what the topic is yet. We're going to lean and move in that direction. So here's question number one. I talk more than I listen, yes or no? Well, the ones that talk too much answer that out loud, but I just, 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 just hang on for a minute. It's kind of a yes. It's a yes or no. Just, that was really funny. All right, question number two. I am late more than I'm on time. They're not, they're not here yet, so you're good. You're, all, you're, you're good, all right? Question number three, I find fault more than I encourage. Number four, I often belittle the struggles of others. Number five, I think I am right most of the time. Well, don't say it out loud. I mean... Don't, don't, we just had communion. Don't admit that, all right? Number six, I ask only myself what I should do. I don't ask other people. I ask only myself what I should do. Number seven, I am hungry for attention and for respect. Our Bible story this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to see an enemy commander. Now keep that in mind. What I just say? Uh, enemy commander. An enemy commander is going to go to Israel asking for a prophet of Israel for healing. It's a very strange story. Second Kings chapter 5, we'll start with the first part of verse 1. Here we go. Now Naaman, this is the commander, uh, commander of the army of the king of Aram, King of Aram is Syria. I just want to show you a map. We see this on news every night. We know Assad's, you know, creating havoc. The Russians and Americans are over there. But anyway, that's where Syria is. We read about it on, every night. We see it on CNN every night. But I just want you to see where it is. So I'll go back now to the next verse. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded. So this is an enemy commander. Israel and the Assyrians are not getting along at this time. This is not a friend. This is an enemy commander. Incredible story. And he was highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory. The Lord gave victory to this enemy commander. Next verse. He was a valiant soldier, but he had what? So what's the problem is he's got leprosy, okay? Verse 2. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. So this is why we know they're not on friendly terms, because they're raiding each other. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that went to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now look what happens in verse 7 when the king hears this. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and he said, 
Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fella, doesn't call him king, doesn't call him friend, why does this fella send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, and he's our hero, one of the great prophets of God in the Old Testament, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stopped at the door. Now, this is really interesting. He goes all the way from Syria, comes all the way down, and he stops at the door of Elisha's house. Look what happens next. Elisha sent a messenger. Elisha didn't even get up out of his lazy boy chair. He didn't even move. Elisha just sends a messenger, and it honks Naaman off. He is ticked. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. He thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot, and at least he would cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and he went off in a rage. Here's our topic this morning. If you get it right, there's life and there's health. If you get it wrong, there's damage and there's distance. Our topic this morning is pride. Our topic this morning is is pride. Turn to the person to your left and say, I see a little bit of pride in you. Turn to the person on your right and say, I see a lot of pride in you, okay? (laughs) I'm sorry. Pride is kind of like a diamond. It's multifaceted. But pride, even though it's multifaceted, it usually has two main pieces to it. We all know about the arrogance. We probably miss the low self-esteem. We all all know people who are very arrogant, they have lots of pride, but honestly, if you have low self-esteem, you have pride too, because you're always talking about you. And what makes it pride, prideful is self-absorption. And people who are prideful, they're either talking about themselves, woe is me, I'm the victim, nobody loves me, nobody blesses me, nobody cares for me, I didn't get any opportunities, or I'm great, I'm big, I'm bad, I'm awesome, look at me. Kind of like little Avery, right? Yep, that story of, of uh, Tom Goodlett. So what is pride? Pride is self-absorption. Look at the little definition I've got up here. It is self-absorption with how miserable or how wonderful I am. Because pride is always right here. I'm always thinking about myself. Most people don't think about it as low self-esteem, do you? But it's both. It's either, either or. Now, why is this so important? Why is this discussion this morning so critical for your life. One of the things that I have discovered in doing this research about the, 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 um, for our, our chapel, our wedding chapel, and doing our marriage stuff, one of the things that I've discovered about, because we're getting ready to you know, come up with the plans and put together all the counseling and all the pieces for the premarital counseling, the postmarital counseling, this has been interesting for me. I've discovered that all this material talks about how, but it doesn't talk about why. It talks about how to have a budget, 
how to do finances, how to fight fair, how to love your spouse, how to, you know, get along with your in-laws. But, but it doesn't really ever come back to why. Why did God create marriage? And if you don't understand the why to something, the how is kind of superfluous, isn't it? So I want to spend just a couple minutes right now and talk about why this is absolutely critical to your well-being. Look at this illustration I've got for you. It's called, My Name is Pride. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. And I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. And I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of me to forgive. And I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. Oh, I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. And I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I am looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit, but don't worry. If you stick with me, you will never know. Now, all of us in this room, we have all been the recipients of pride. There's been somebody in your life who has really hurt you. There's been a parent, a teacher, a coach, a sibling, an aunt, an uncle, a pastor. There's been somebody in your life who, because of pride, has deeply wounded you. And you know what that feels like. And the blood just drains from you because it feels absolutely awful when somebody's been proud and prideful toward you. But we also know, we also know what it feels like to be proud to somebody else. We also know that we've hurt other people. We know that our pride has caused distance and our pride has caused damage. And so everyone in the room has to decide what we're going to do with this because we're all infected It is an infection that has affected all of us. None of us in this room are exempt. Now, your pride level might be this much, and the next person's pride level might be this much, and maybe your pride level is this much. It doesn't really matter. Everybody in the room has been infected by pride. And if we don't get a handle on this, there's distance and there's incredible damage in our lives. Let's go to verse 13. Let's continue our story. Remember what just happened? Naaman left in a huff. Naaman was mad. You didn't even water my horses. At least you could have fed me. At least you could have gotten up out of your lazy boy chair and walked down the, you know, the sidewalk and come out to the mailbox and lean against the mailbox and at least you know, had a prayer for me. And some people say, well, he wouldn't come out there because it would make him ceremonially unclean or he wouldn't come out there because you know, he might get leprosy. No, 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 that's not why he came out there or didn't come out there. It's about pride. Look at verse 13. Here's what he says. Naaman's servants went to him. This is the first breakthrough. The first breakthrough in our story about pride is there are a couple people in Naaman's life that he will listen to. 
This is my question for you. Is there anybody in your life that you will listen to when they come to you? And he or she comes to you and says, you know, I want to talk to you. I'm concerned about something. Can I have permission to speak into you? This is a really good sign. So the servants, they go to him and they call him my father. If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? That's a great sign. Here's breakthrough number two. So he went. He listened to them. He didn't just hear them. He actually put this into practice. He listened. So he went and he dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times as the man of God told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. Breakthrough number three is the next verse. Look at this in verse 15. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back. I want to read that again. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back. I want to read it one more time. I'm not stuttering. Then Naaman and his attendants, where'd they go? Thank you. They went back. Now, can you imagine? Imagine the power that would take place in families, within families, if we go back. You're 15 years old. You're 18 years old. You're 24 years old. And you go back to mom or dad, and you say, Mom, you were right. I should have studied. You told me about studying. Dad, you warned me about alcohol. You told me that nothing good comes from alcohol. You told me that. And Dad, I I didn't listen. Mom, Dad, you told me not to date her. You told me not to marry him. I didn't listen. Can you imagine? There's not distance there's not damage. There's intimacy and there's connection. And that's how humility has such a powerful act in people's families' lives. You're the parent. You're the mom. You're the dad. You're the aunt. You're the uncle. And you go back. It doesn't matter the age of the child, 15, 30, 45. It doesn't matter. But you go back and you say, son, daughter, I didn't handle this well. I, I, don't, I can make excuses. You're the firstborn, or we've never been through this before. You can, but, but, but I have no excuses. I, I, I didn't handle this well. And I'm asking you to forgive me. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I am sorry. Let's go forward. Can you imagine the power of the connection in a family? Can you imagine in a marriage when husbands and wives stop leaning out and they start leaning in? And let's be real honest about it. Our pride in marriage causes us to lean out versus to lean in, right? Imagine this would take place in, in businesses, in, in workplaces, and you've got coworker, worker to worker, or boss to you, or you to boss, or whoever, whatever your role is, and you go back. I messed that up. I didn't handle that well. I fouled this thing up, and I, I need a mulligan. I need a do-over. I'm going to work on this. Can you imagine Again, the connections that take place. And so everyone in the room has to decide which of these two camps you're going to be in. Moving toward or moving away. Well, the story even gets better. Look at verse 16. The story continues. Verse 16, the prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. So the last part of verse 15, name is trying to pay him. And Elisha's going, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that, dude, but no way. 
Uh, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I'm not accepting the silver, the gold. I'm not accepting the, the clothes, the talents. I'm not accepting it. Even though Naaman urged him, he what? He resisted. Verse 17 says this. Well, if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. What? For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to take back some dirt from Israel. And I will not, from this point on, bow down or worship any other gods. I'm going to make an altar out of this dirt. And an altar is a place where you go and you meet God. I'm going to build an altar. You know what happened? The guy got saved. Naaman got saved. That's what takes place. It's an amazing story. Because he let go of his pride. And he goes back. And he has people in his life. And he takes steps to make incredible progress. I don't know where you are this morning with this. I've had some really interesting feedback coming out of the services. Yesterday afternoon, I had a wedding downtown at Hyatt Hyatt Regency, beautiful wedding, beautiful place to have a wedding. On my way down there, I'm in traffic, and I'm trying to get to the roundabout and to go left, to go south, and um, long line of traffic, and I'm about at the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. I'm about at at Island Way Grill over there on the right-hand side, and there's this guy, and I guess it's his wife, in a Bentley convertible. Beautiful. I was lusting after the Bentley convertible. And, and I looked at the license plate, and the license plate said, I'm one of four. And I looked at that for a minute, and I go, he's got four Bentleys? <laughs> he certainly didn't mean the wife was one of four, because if he had four wives, he wouldn't be able to have a Bentley, right? He wouldn't have the money. <laughs> but, but, but he's bragging on his license plate that this Bentley is one of four Bentleys that he has. I thought, boy, he'd be tough to live with, okay? See, where are you with this? And do you want to gain ground with this? Well, I have four suggestions. They're in your bulletin. If you want to take notes, let's take some notes, and these are some four fillings. Number one, how do I gain ground with my pride? I remember God. He's God, and I'm not. I love what Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, Watch carefully these four slides. I want you to dial into these four in a row. Deuteronomy chapter 8. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become, what's the word? Proud. And you will, what's it say? Forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourselves, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Now, if you've got a job, or you need a job, or you have income, or you're going to make income, I'm going to suggest that you memorize Deuteronomy 8.18. It could be one of the most important work verses in the entire Bible. Deuteronomy 8.18 is one of my favorite verses. It says this, 
But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors, as it is today. What is He saying? Remember, it's the Lord your God who gave you the ability to earn income in the first place. You get up early. You work late. But who gave you that great mind? Who gave you that great skill with your hands? Who put you in a family where you kind of fell into something? It's the Lord your God. Remember, it's the Lord your God who gives you the ability to earn income. I, that's one of my favorite verses, and I try to rem- remember that at all times. So if you're going to gain ground with pride, I suggest we remember God. Number two, we surrender. We surrender to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few people find it. Number three, my third suggestion is to gain ground with pride as I sacrifice my life and my will for the cause of Jesus Christ. I sacrifice my life and my will for his cause. Listen to what he says in 16 of Matthew. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, they will find it. Do you want to gain ground with pride? I have a fourth suggestion. Okay, here's the fourth one. We see the pitfalls of pride and we see the benefits of humble circumstances. Read that out loud with me again. We see the pitfalls of pride and the benefits of humble circumstances. So what are the benefits? If you decide to live a life of humility, what are the benefits? We, we conquer by becoming a slave. You ever thought about that? We conquer by becoming a slave. We, we, we become great by becoming like a little child. We, we are exalted when we are humble and humbling, we become wise when we become a fool for Christ. We become strong when we've become weak. We live by dying. And we receive all these incredible benefits from God when we give and give our lives away. The benefits are huge, but the infection is serious, and we're all infected by it, and we're all affected by this. So take these steps. Gain some ground with pride. So now we're going to personalize this even a little bit more. I'm going to put these two lists back on on the slide. We started with the first list. And I want you to pick one of these that you need to do better in. Quite frankly, I do talk more than I listen. Or quite frankly, I I am late more than I'm on time. Why is that pride? Because if you're late all the time, that means your time's more important than everybody else's. People who are late are really prideful. They don't see it. But they're they're prideful. That just hurt, didn't it? For some of you. I find fault more than I encourage. I often belittle others. I think I'm right most of the time. I ask only myself. I'm hungry. Pick one of those. 
pick one of those on the left and say, okay, I'm not going to take all seven. I won't remember seven. I'm, I'm going to take one. I'm going to put one into practice, okay? Then look on the right-hand side and pick one of those. And when you've got your two, you stand up, and I'll pray over you, and I'll pray for you, and I'll pray with you. Jesus, we love you. You are the Lamb of God. You died for us to free us. Help us with our infection. There's coming a day, there's coming a day where we won't have this. And we'll see you face to face. That's going to be a great day. But right now, as we continue to season and grow, we lean on you, we surrender to you, and you're going to set us free and freer and freer and freer every single day of our lives. I pray, Father God, that you help us. You help us to lean into people and to love people. And that you help us to go back where there's damage and there's distance. That you help us today to muster all the courage we can by the power of the Holy Spirit and close the gap. That we do our part to close the gap. I thank you for what you're going to do, Jesus. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front, if they would right now. As prayer partners, just come down front. And I can't help but think about Christian baptism when Naaman was asked to be dipped seven times. Go dip, go wash yourself seven times in the pool, in the water, Jordan River. And he was like, he bucked up. He like he, like he wouldn't do it. Christian baptism is a real... I'm getting rid of my pride thing. Christian baptism is I'm going to surrender my life. And so on June the 12th, we're going to have another beach baptism service out at Honeymoon Island Park, State Park. If you've never been baptized in the gym, you've never been immersed as a person who's old enough to make up his or her own mind, I would really encourage you to make sure that you're doing, you're, you're, you would do it because it's the right thing to do, and you would not do it because of your own pride. Maybe today you've never given your life to Jesus. That's always the place to start. I'm going to confess Christ. I'm going to let Jesus Christ be Lord of my life. I'm going to confess him. I'm going to repent of my sins. And I'm going to, I'm going to turn my life to him. Our prayer partners this morning, our friends down here, are here to help you with that and lead you in that. Maybe, maybe like your pride scale is like, you know, like through the roof. And, and you just want some help today. You just, you're going to humble yourself today and ask somebody to pray with you and to pray for you and to pray over you today. All right? God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Come down front if you want prayer.